back to the Meet the Press podcast. I'm Jared McDonald, joined as always by Tyler Dixon. And I know what you're probably thinking. This isn't a Sunday night Facebook Live or YouTube Live. It's not a Monday morning podcast drop on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a midweek special edition episode. We're going to try to start doing them with special guests. Our first guest is a native of Winchester, Kentucky. He has worked at places like the Old Amera and the Bowling Green Daily News in the sports department and is now a contributing editor at Horse Racing Nation. What better time to have him on here than Derby Week? Mr. Brad Stevens, welcome aboard. Yeah, good to be here, guys. I'm not in Kentucky for Derby Week. This is the first, and, and I've admitted prior to coming on, I've never been to a Derby, but there is. Being in Kentucky, there is a certain buzz around this week. Like you don't, I, I don't feel like you always want to admit it. Like you don't want to say, "Oh, we're gonna play up to that." There's a buzz. Like you go around town and you see, "Oh, people are doing this for the Derby, that for the Derby." It's a fun thing. Like it's a thing everybody can get behind. Yeah, well, I'm actually not in Kentucky right now either. I'm in uh, uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, but mm-hmm. I'll be going up uh, Saturday for the Derby. So. Yeah, you know, look forward to yeah, yeah. You, you talk derby here, and it's kind of going, you know, over people's heads. But looking forward to see you back, back in, in the, back in the bluegrass on Saturday. You know, Brad, you have a different experience than us because I'm not from Kentucky. I'm from Maine. Tyler's not from Kentucky either. Mm-hmm. You know, as a guy that grew up in the state, you know, went to school in the state at Western Kentucky, worked in the state, you know, as a sports reporter, sports editor mm-hmm. at different papers around here. You know, what's your experience with the Derby like? You know, when did you first start getting into it? You know, what what stands out to you about Derby Week? Yeah, I think it's just always been a part of my life. And I guess maybe I kind of took it for granted over the years. But um, I, I never went to the Derby until I was I was covering it. But uh, I just remember, like, in elementary school, like, we would each get assigned one of the horses that was in the field. And they would have us, you know, paint like or you know draw like the jockey silks i think one year i might have gotten charismatic the year he won actually so i was pretty fired up about that and because he was his silks were green and yellow and i was a packers fan and he's still a packers fan so that uh that had me fired up but um no high school we would go to keeneland actually on derby day and they you know put it on the big board there and you can go all the betting windows were open concessions everything so it was just like another day at keeneland you're just watching it all on on simulcast from churchill and then yeah, I finally got to cover it in 2014 when I was at the Old Amera uh, weekly newspaper just outside of Louisville. Uh, we had a uh, Sean Bridge Mahan was a jockey who was lived in Goshen, which is uh, like, oh, how, like yeah. Oldham County, Jefferson County line, but in Oldham County. And there were a couple other Oldham connections. So it was cool to be part of that from from that angle of it. And then I, I covered it one year for the Daily News, and now I've done two for uh, Horse Racing Nation. So yeah, it's just it's cool. I've gotten to see it from some different angles, you know, from being one of the reporters who, you know, just shows up on Derby Day, kind of flies in and, you know, hey, I'm here to cover it versus actually being with Horse Racing Nation to be a little more in the day-to-day of it and, uh, you know, seeing it from that angle. So, and, and it kind of reflects, too, the people that are there. I mean, you, some people there are, you know, hardcore. They're watching TVG, you know, seven days a week and, you know, <laughs> got twin spires, you know, fired up all hours oh. a day and others that, you know, that's their only horse racing yeah. experience of the year. So, you know, when, when you have an event that has 150,000, 160,000 people, you're, you're going to get a little bit of, uh, of all types. That's certainly mm-hmm. the case here. You know, on Saturday, the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby, 
uh, post time, approximately 6.57 p.m. Eastern time, 5.57 p.m. Central time. If you're any other time zone, you can do the math yourself. Um, you know, what excites you about this one, Brad, you know, as a guy that is kind of in it day to day now? I don't know how to say this, but I'm kind of hoping we have one that's just like normal. This is controversy free. Uh, I mean, you look at the last three. So I've covered each of the last three derbies. And so you look at 2019, that was the maximum security one. There was a steward's inquiry, you know, for interference in the turn. 22 minute review and, you know, country house is elevated, you know, finished second, never threatened to win the race, but is elevated to the win. And honestly, Looking back, I still think that was the correct call. It's just wild that that happened in the Kentucky Derby. Right. And then, you know, 2020, I was there with maybe 500 or 600 of the people because of the pandemic and they're in behind closed doors and it was on Labor Day. It was a whole, it was just so strange. And then last year you have, you think you have a straightforward Derby, you know, Medina Spirit leads gate to wire under Johnny V. You think, okay, well, that's that. And then, you know, a week later, Baffert is having a press conference outside of a stall. And then he's going on Fox News talking about cancel culture, and it just kind of goes downhill from there. And then uh, and it took until this past February when they, the the KHSR the KHRC uh, finally disqualified Medina Spirit and Churchill promoted Mandaloon to, to last year's Derby win. So um, yeah, I, I think I'm just hoping we get one that's you know we go there, we watch it, we all enjoy it, and we leave knowing okay that's the results, and you know, can't wait till next year. This is what happened. And that's it. I, I, I mean, yeah, you, you are right. There has been some, it, it, there has been some, some, some tumultuous years the last few years. Yes. You know, is it still going to be a normal year for you? Because even if it does run without a hitch, like some of these years past, there's still no Bob Baffert in it this year, which, you know, he's a big name. He's a, a recognizable name. Um, you know, Churchill Downs, um, you know, barred him from entering horses that enter any of their tracks through about mid-2023. Uh, you know, how does that kind of weigh into everything that's happening this week and weekend? Yeah, it's an interesting subplot throughout the Derby season. So, you know, the way they do the, the entry into the Kentucky Derby, there's 20 spots. And it's, you know, Churchill Downs is a point system where there's points preps to start in September, run through April. And, you know, the top four finishers, these races get points toward the Derby. And, Baffert had horses in all of these races and they were just, when they would finish, it would come up on the, you know, fresh release would get saying zero points. And so it was just this really weird phenomenon of he was still present on the Derby trail with Messier and uh, Taba and some of these others, but they weren't getting any points. And then finally, you know, he, I think the owners, when it got to about mid-March realized, okay, this is, <laughs> this isn't going to happen for, we need to move our horses. And so Tim Yachtin, has taken over training duties. He was Baffert's former assistant, taking over training duties for the two that are in the uh, field Saturday. So people have taken and called them the Bath teams. <laughs> but uh, I mean, and, gosh, think of your Tim Yak team. You're a guy who's, you know, you're you know, a trainer in California, you know, obviously, you know, done a lot in your career, but nothing on the level of this. And now you're thrust into a spotlight. So that would be a really interesting subplot come Saturday. You know, I know one that a lot of people around here are excited about is Epicenter. Um, you know, a horse trained by Steve Asmussen, owned by Winchell Thoroughbreds. Uh, but it was actually born here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. You know, what do you know about that horse and, and its chances here Saturday? Yeah, I think Epicenter is a big chance, and that's actually my pick for uh, the Kentucky Derby. So, obviously, it's a little bit of Bowling Green home cooking there. But uh, <laughs> now he's a... Uh, 
So he took the Louisiana route to the Kentucky Derby running at Fairgrounds in New Orleans. And if you look at the last four or five years, the Fairgrounds circuit has been really strong. It's, you know, over, over the years, it's kind of gone back and forth. You know, Florida produced a bunch of Kentucky Derby winners, you know, New York back in the day, you know, California, they, you know, di- different areas kind of have hot streaks. But the Fairgrounds the last few years has, has kind of seen a, a, a kind of golden era as far as, you know, producing horses that are, you know, contending in some of these triple crown races. And uh, he won the Risen Star Stakes down there, which turned out also to be the best prep of Kentucky Derby season. Dan Don was in it, Papa Cap, uh, or, you know, several others, and then came back, won the Louisiana Derby. Just seems like he's a, you know, really sharp horse. Uh, he stays forwardly placed, which is kind of the running style you need in this era of the mm-hmm. Kentucky Derby. Uh, and then, you know, kind of another subplot is that he's trained by Steve Asmussen, who has the most wins of any trainer in North American racing history, but not this one. So that'll be really interesting to see come Saturday. Yeah, I had, I had a chance to talk to Steve Asmussen and joined him on a Zoom this morning with some other reporters. Um, he said that, you know, Epicenter is going faster sooner than some of his other horses that have run and, and had good showings in the Kentucky Derby, like Curlin, like Gunrunner, um, you know, who went on to win uh, Horse of the Year titles um you know he says like even at a slow gear he's best described as a slinky just extremely fluid you know a great mover uh, you know steve asmussen though 0 for 23 at the derby you know he's won just about everything else the all-time winning his trainer in north america i guess what's your experience like working with him and, and you know watching him work in your position yeah it's just really impressive his operation because he has such a how far flung is the right word but i mean he has you know, if, if you look at a entry, the entries on a you know Friday in the summer, he's going to have horses running at four or five different tracks, and it's you know such a job to stay on top of all that. And of course, he has a huge staff that works under him. But you know, and he's a guy who also kind of plays the game at a lot of different levels. So you know, if you look at obviously he has horses you know running you know, epicenter, you know the second choice in the morning line for the Kentucky Derby, but you know he'll have horses running at you know tracks in Iowa, Texas, and Louisiana, you know these other places, and maybe kind of outside the the focus of the racing world. And uh, you know from from everything I've heard, he takes you know just as much pride in that as he does you know his horses that are you know winning in Kentucky, New York. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when you have a record like that, that's a reflection of you know a lot of the people you have around mm-hmm. you too. And it, it seems like he's assembled a really strong team. Brett, how? whenever we often hear of, of trainers and, and stuff like that and they, and they show them on Derby day, it's often older people. Not, I say older 50s, 60s. It's guys that, you know, have been around the track. If you want, mm-hmm. how does somebody break into this? Because I never feel like somebody said like in, in your sports guy, you say in baseball, basketball, Oh, this 16 year old, he's really good. 17 year old. How does that work in, in the training game? How does, one kind of break into that scene because I mean, it's a pretty elite club once you get into it. Yeah. You know, a lot of these guys just kind of spend their lives around the track. You look at Brad Cox, who's the, he was the Eclipse award winner last year, as far as Mm -hmm. racing top trainer. Um, You know, he's a guy who was just around the track a lot growing up. And then, you know, when he got to his late teenage years, early twenties, he'd go work for other trainers. And, you know, there's different jobs you can do around the same other than there's being the trainer, you know, hot walking and, you know, just other, other kind of other tasks and they have people that do that. And so you kind of break in that way. And then, you know, a lot of these guys, they either, you know, kind of move up the ranks, you know, become like a top assistant trainer for a big stable where they go, go out on their own. And, you know, some of those, they kind of rise through the claiming ranks where, 
you know, a lot of the horses they're running are, you know, not the caliber we're going to see Saturday. You know, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are running on, you know, Wednesday afternoon and $5,000 claiming races. And, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it takes a lot of hard work. It's, you, you have to be someone who wants to get up, uh, you know, be there at the track at five o'clock in the morning, you know, for training hours. And, you know, it's a kind of a seven day of a week job. And you talk to these guys, they don't take a lot of vacation throughout the year. I mean, it really is because it kind of becomes their lives. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people, they, you know, may choose to do something, you know, more nine to five, like, <laughs> like we'd like to do, but, um, you know, for the, for, but for the guys who's calling it is, you know, that's, that's what they do. And, and some of them had a lot of success with it. I just picture like a second, third seat assistant college basketball coach that like lives on the road and like lives out of their car. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like how I'm correlating in my head. Yeah. Well, you look at like Todd Pletcher who he has, you know, mm-hmm. three horses in the Derby. He has the favorite, the Kentucky Oaks on Friday and he's a, a hall of famer. He worked for a lot of years as one of the assistants to D. Wayne Lucas, who was a you know, Hall of Fame trainer, you know, was the, probably the face of the sport during the 1990s and you know, even the you know, 80s into the 2000s. And you know, Lucas back in the day had um, he had Pletcher, he had Dallas Stewart, he had Kieran McLaughlin, he had a few others that were all you know all those guys all learning from him, and they kind of go out and, and start their own stables and their assistants go out on their own. So it's kind of like a coaching tree. It's yeah, like, that's you know, cool. People that you work for Rick Pitino for a lot of years at Calpari mm-hmm. or, you know, Coach K or whoever and kind of go out and, you know, have their own careers. It's, it's, it's a similar career tra- trajectory. You know, you were talking about Steve Asmussen and having pride in some of those places racing that, you know, most people wouldn't, you know, look at. A lot of people, the casual race fans, they look at the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, the Belmont Stakes, and, you know, outside of that, they don't care at all, you know, if that. You know, working at the Daily News, how often did you make it down to Kentucky Downs? Because that's actually the first time I interacted with Steve Asmussen was about the first week after I started at the, the Bowling Green Daily News. I went down to Kentucky Downs and just kind of got thrown to the fire there. Yeah, I got to go down a little bit, not not a ton because it was always during football season. And so it's just like their big days be on Saturdays in September. And so I was, you know, when I was on the WKU beat, I'd usually have a game on those days or yeah, I'd be out doing something high school related, but I was able to go down a little bit. I actually went in 2018 when I was still at the Daily News. Mike Smith was there. He was doing like a big autograph session. Uh, he had just won the um, Triple Crown as Justified Jockey that spring, and so you know he was signing. They had like you know prints of Justify that he was signing, and people were paying him twenty dollars, whatever it was for. And you know we got to sit around and talk to him, and that was really cool because he's a guy who's been in the game for a ton of years, had a ton of success, but. Uh, I, I do love Kentucky Downs. I uh, you know, went back this fall just as a fan. It's just the you know I, I went one day as a reporter and one one day just as a fan. But it's just it's the coolest place. I and mean, you can just sit there, you know, bring in a lawn chair, bring in your you know your, your public subs and your drinks or whatever, and just hang out for the day. And it's just very casual. It's a very different experience as compared to you know Churchill or Keeneland. But the yeah, you know, the gosh, the purse money they run for. I mean, it's world class courses that are there. It's like a you know, it's kind of like a it's the casual feel of like a county fair, but you're watching, you know, million dollar races in front of you. So it's a, it's a cool, uh, cool environment. Come Saturday, do you think there's anybody that has a chance to, you know, surprise the field, surprise the fans there at Churchill Downs? Or is it kind of going to be the favorites running at the front? I don't, I don't see a lot of other horses that I think like. A lot of the long shots in this year's field, I feel like they're long shots for a reason. Um, the the one that's kind of caught my mind a little bit is the horse in simplification. 
who I think the the morning line has him at 20 to one. He won the Fountain of Youth Stakes at Gulfstream, and he was second uh, to White Abario in both the Holy Bull Stakes and in the Florida Derby. Um, and if you go back and watch the Holy Bull, he was probably the best horse in the race. He just got out of the gates terribly, and he made a huge rally just to finish second there. I, I was I, I remember watching that, thinking, okay, this is you know one to keep an eye on going forward. So. I, I don't think he's like the most likely win candidate, but if you're looking for a bigger price, maybe, you know, maybe if you have a ticket, it's like, you know, Epicenter or Zandon on top, and then you, you know, kind of want a, a bigger price there for your second or third slot. Uh, Simplification is the one that kind of caught my eye. But yeah, other than that, things. I mean, yeah, like Crown Pride, I think might be interesting, just in the fact that um, Japanese horses have had so much success internationally in the last few years. He got in through the UAE Derby, which has been not a not a productive Kentucky Derby prep at all in the last 20 years. The, the best finishing horse from that race is like sixth. Uh, but you know, just just the way the Japanese horses have been, you know, competing lately on big stages, it's kind of one that I'm a little bit intrigued by. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, Cyberknife won the Arkansas Derby for Brad Cox, but it's only 20 to one, and it was kind of a weaker field this year in Arkansas as far as their preps goes. Maybe that's why he's uh, a little bit higher than you might expect. Um, yeah, I still look at Epicenter as the most likely winner, and you know, Zandon's the morning line favorite, but he has uh, his running style is like a deep closer type where you know, he's just going to try to do all his running at the end. I just think that's really hard to do in a field of 20 horses where you have so much traffic in front of you, and all it takes is you know, a couple of horses veering out in your way, and all of a sudden you're having to, you know, maneuver around them and it you know kind of breaks your momentum so yeah it'll be you know he'll, he'll have something to overcome but if he does get a clear run i mean he's got quite a late kick so he's definitely a win threat you know when you were talking about kentucky downs being like that casual fairgrounds type of feel i was kind of going back in my head at the different tracks in the state that i've been to over the years, you know, working in this job. My first one was Keeneland, and it was a perfect spring day, uh, you know, the bluegrass stakes. Uh, it was just, you know, it was awesome there. It was nice. And then I go to, um, you know, one Kentucky Derby, uh, I believe it was 2018 when Justify won it, went on to win the Triple Crown. Um, had a totally different experience because <laughs> I was in the infield. I bought a ticket. I was in the infield, and it was the wettest derby ever. Um, and, and, you know, then I went to Kentucky Downs for work and, um, you know, I had that access like you were talking about too. And it's, but you still get that kind of close knit family feel there. It's not the extravaganza that is, you know, the Kentucky Derby, um, you know, which I think for a lot of people is much more glorious on TV than it is in person, especially if you're in the infield, like I was, Do you have a favorite, <laughs> <laughs> a favorite, um, you know, memory, or, or place to be or anything like that from, you know, your years, whether it was working a race or, um, you know, just going as a fan and having a good time. Yeah. I, I just love Keeneland. I mean, I, I'm from, you know, I'm from the Lexington area, so I, I don't really go there a lot until probably high school and then, you know, high school and then into college and, you know, ever since college, it's you know, always been one of my favorite places. And it's, I, I really like Keeneland in the fall too. Yeah, like maybe like the early fall, kind of the first weekend or two of the, of the fall meet, you know, before it really gets, you know, gets, gets too bad, but, you know, it's kind of 60 to 65 degrees and, you know, they have that burgoo there. It's like a eight different <laughs> kinds of meat. Right. <laughs> <all the time. laughs> and I've even, uh, last time I was there, they had one, like, it was like a burgoo hot dog. It was like a chili dog, but just like with burgoo instead of like a, 
you know, on a coney. So uh, wow, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I was gonna. It, uh, it sounds good. But you know, Keeneland's always funny. You know, people have big tailgates set up, and it's just so much. You know, a lot of the area surrounding Churchill. I mean, I love Churchill Downs. It's a cool place to go. But a lot of Churchill surrounding is just parking lot, whereas Keeneland, it's all grass, and so it's just much more of like a, you know, if you want to, you know, toss a football around with your buddies or something like that, or you know, just grill out and you know, just you know, enjoy the weather, that kind of thing, where you go in for the track. That just you know, it seems like kind of the perfect. Uh, perfect place to be uh but the first place i ever actually went to the races was the track in cincinnati called river downs i don't know if either of you guys are ever familiar with that it's uh it's since been torn down and then rebuilt as like a, one of those casino slash racetracks called belterra park and um i've been there a couple times since it's you know not really the same what is river downs it's just like this big grandstand with like no one in it and like these horses that are running for like you know twenty five hundred dollar purses and <laughs> you look at like the running lines on these horses and it would say like 77 career starts, like three wins. <laughs> yeah, it would just be outrageous. But uh, my my grandfather was uh, that was that was his place to go. He was up in Dayton, Ohio, and so we would you know, we'd go to River Downs, and that's kind of where I first got into it. And of course, you know, being there, you could get as close as you want. You go to the paddock or whatever, because I mean, no one there to stop you. <laughs> and but yeah, I mean, you can make just as much money, uh, you know, betting a race there as you can the Kentucky Derby. Payoffs, payoffs are uh, their money counts the same whether or not you're watching uh, <laughs> money's good the same <laughs> maiden claimers or uh, grade one. My my only horse experience, horse racing experience is I covered harness racing. Uh, I was a reporter in Central Illinois for a year after undergrad, and I covered probably 70, 80 harness races because they would have four or five oh. races a day five days a week and um fun fact this is gonna this is gonna be weird uh kurt becker that is um does announcing at kingland yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah kurt is from altamont kurt was actually the announcer the first time i covered a harness race at effingham in, in central oh, really? illinois oh that's yeah. cool um He's and, excellent too. Oh man, he's phenomenal. He the, whenever I got there, it was literally my first week on the job, and he like introduces me on the loudspeaker and starts like feeding information. And I'm like, I met this dude ten minutes ago. Like, <laughs> like how does he know all this? Um, but yeah, that was um, my only experience, and it was, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, it was. People that had won, I remember one day I covered, I think a woman who won 250 races, I think 300 races. Okay. And I mean, it had been people that that's what they did during the summer. They did this little county fair circuit and they would race two or three times a day, five days a week, go to the next one, make their money for the summer. And I'm like, man, that's a grind. But I mean, if that's what you love, that's what you love. Yeah, and I have so much respect for those people. Yeah, mm -hmm. not even the yeah, you know, just the thoroughbreds, but you know, people work with you know the quarter horses or the you know harness racing stuff. I mean, you got to be really, really into oh, it. Yeah. To, you dedicate your life to it. And there, there are a lot of people that are. I think that's uh, I think that's awesome. And you know, yeah, whenever you're you know making your money at the window or something, you know, couldn't do it if it wasn't for those people who get up <laughs> exactly <laughs> way before I've ever thought about getting up and go out and mm -hmm. you know put the work in. Well, Jared's still awake, most likely. Like they're 
they're getting up while Jared is, is yeah, overlaps with the, yeah, yeah, over, Jared. yeah, yeah, yeah. Burning real, the midnight just, oil. <laughs> you know, Brad, you mentioned the burgoo. That's a very Kentucky, yeah. very Kentucky thing. You know, when mm-hmm. I think of the Kentucky Derby and, and Churchill Downs, a lot of people think of it too. You know, the mint julep. This is a, a very hotly contested debate. Mm-hmm. Is the mint julep good? I love it. Oh my no! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know no. it's like the it's the cool thing to say that like everyone hates it, but I I, I love mint juleps. Like I just like like a, a well now. I guess it kind of depends on like how you're getting it because like if you buy just like the pre-made mint julep mix, like it's probably like not the best. But if you have someone like actually, you know, a lot of bars in Louisville or other places like the you know, Lexington, they'll do it for you, like handmade like that. And that yeah, but that's. Mine Probably my was second handmade. favorite way to. Oh, yours was handmade. And you didn't. My, and didn't I, like I, it? Well, I should preface by saying I'm not a mint person. Okay. Which I could see being a hang up with a mint julep. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that being a little bit of an issue. I'm with you, Brad. Yeah. I think no. it's good. Like. I, yeah. I won't. I won't use a, a very expensive, fancy bourbon for it. Like I would rather have that, you know, neat or on the rocks, but you know, I yeah, I like sure. cheap bourbon too. Well, and I'm not really enough of like a bourbon stop. Like once you get past like the the Jim Beam level, kind of into like that next like kind of Buffalo Trace Four Roses level. I, once you get that point, I can't really tell the difference. So <laughs> I, I I can tell bad. I can tell bad real quick. Ooh. But as far as the good goes, it can uh, be honest, all the same to me. But uh, now, I mean, my my favorite way to have bourbon is with the uh, ALA, which is my soft drink from you know Winchester. That's a very Winchester that's thing the, to say. That, that's exactly that's that's the hometown. Uh, yeah, answer. But that's what that's what Ed Marlowe drinks also. ALA makers oh, really? and ALA. Yeah. yeah, makers and ALA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Woodford guy. Not 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 a sponsor, but uh. <laughs> we'll take them. We'll take them all. <laughs> Just sure. not bad. LA, Woodford. All yeah, of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, while, while we're on the subject of food and drinks, Brad, um, yeah. you know, if, if people don't know, I'm in the position now that you were in a few years ago, um, year before Elliot Pratt was the Western Kentucky beat writer at the Daily News. You've been on a lot of these same road trips that I've been on. You've liked some of the pictures of the barbecue that I've posted. <laughs> you know, looking back at your time at the Daily News on the Western Beat, traveling around, what are some of the memorable places you've stopped and, you know, both city-wise and, and had a bite to eat? Because this is the Meet the Press podcast. Yeah. So my favorite city on the Conference USA beat was El Paso. Like, that place is spectacular. It's just, like, it's cool. Like, like they're like they're cool, you know, like, hiking-type places you can go during the day. Like, we went up to uh, – we took the tram to the top of uh, Ranger Mountain, a bunch of us did, you know, where you can, like, see in New Mexico and, you know, see all the – see in the, you know, four states, whatever it is. But uh, – just the food there. I mean, the, you know, it's just like, it's the same as what you might order, you know, at a, you know, Tex-Mex type place or Mexican restaurant here, but it's just, you know, tastes totally different. So I, I loved El Paso. Um, but yeah, anywhere in Texas, I mean, you know, San Antonio, Dallas area, there's always you know, good, good barbecue to be had. And, um, you know, I'd like to go into you know, some of the other places like in, uh, Old Dominion, there was a you know place for seafood that I really liked, and uh, you know, was it Birmingham Sauce Barbecue is one of my favorites, and yeah. 
yeah. Trying to get some Cajun was... food when we went to the Louisiana Tech. So, yeah, you, you, you could uh, that's <laughs> Conference USA when it designed itself as this conference, you know, 10 years ago after all the realignment, uh, didn't prove to be a great setup as far as like actual you know, mission of the conference goes, but as far as the food options went, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> was it you that recommended uh, Ponchatoulas to me? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm sure there were others that did, but yeah, no, that was that was always a cool spot. That one, Ruston. Yeah, there's, that... there's not really a not really a ton in Ruston as far as you know compared to some other stops in the conference USA beat. So your options are limited, but yeah, Ponchatoulas is uh, yeah never never fails. Right. Was the uh, seafood place in Norfolk all shucks? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. I've been there a couple times now, so it's funny how the beat writers kind of just pass along these these places <laughs> right. to go. But I always, I always thought Norfolk was a cool place too. It's uh, you know you go to like those events at ODU, and there's always huge crowds. Like the city seemed to really get behind the, which always kind of like blew my mind. Like why they're not better than they are. Yeah. They have like a, it's just like football wise. Like, look at all the athletes that have come out of that area, and then you look at their football team, and they'd be like you know, six and six or whatever. Like that—that's the program that should be, you know, top of the G five. Right. I, I I was down at um FIU in Miami. You know, having the time of my life in Miami. And before the game, <laughs> I was talking to one of Western's assistant coaches. I was like, man, how don't they get like these extremely great recruits here? Because this. This city's awesome. Like, if I was an 18-year-old, mm -hmm. 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old, I'd want to go to Miami over, you know, maybe some of these other CUSA cities. Sure. Just, just for the sure. city alone. But, yeah, but then you, like, go to FIU's campus, and then you <laughs> see the football experience or the basketball experience or whatever, and then you yep. realize why they have trouble <laughs> attracting <laughs> kids to stay home and play there. Exactly. But, you know, Brad, we appreciate you hopping on the podcast and talking about the Kentucky Derby. You know, you want to give a, a shout out to how we can follow your work and, um, you know, all that just to you know promote what you're doing. Yeah. So horseracingnation.com is the website. Uh, we have a whole team of people that are there at Churchill uh, all week. I actually won't be there till Saturday. I actually uh, graduate law school on Friday, so I'll have to, uh, to have to hang down here until then, but then I'll, I'll make the trip up Friday night after all that. Uh, the, the ceremony Friday happens during the Kentucky Oaks, so I don't know. May or may not have my phone uh, out watching that during <laughs> some, some university VP is talking about donating to the school or something. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like we have a we have a whole team of people that are that are there in Louisville this week, and you know throughout the year we have people based in New York and California. You know we're we're covering racing 365 days a year, so obviously you know this this next month or so, you know the Derby, the, the Preakness, the Belmont, you know all the races that surround those races. That's a it's a great time of year for us. But you know then even later in the summer we get to be in towards Saratoga and Del Mar, and you know, getting towards Breeders' Cup in the fall. We'll uh, we'll have coverage of it all. And then we'll, then the Derby Trail start again, and we'll do the, the same thing next year. Yeah, the, the sports never really ends. I find myself saying it'll slow down after this week, and that's been every week for about six years now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and, and your job it gets to about what like the kind of like that third week of June to like the second week of July. That's kind of yeah, the, that's... the sweet spot. Yep. We're almost. And of course, it's too hot to go out and like enjoy doing anything. So. 
Right, right. We're almost there, though. I'll, I'll try to enjoy it when we get there. But Brad, mm-hmm. you know, we appreciate you again hopping on. Tell Stephanie we said hello. Um, be sure to follow yeah. Brad's work and follow Meet the Press podcast. You can go to meetthepresspodcast.com. Uh, you know, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back for our regular podcast live Sunday night and on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast Monday morning. So uh, be sure to follow along. Until then, we'll see you guys later.